Welcome back, everybody, to the Practical Woodsman podcast. I'm Rut, the creator and host of the Practical Woodsman. It's thanks to me. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm a little out of practice. How's it go? That's right. It's my genius which has brought this all into existence. Yeah, that's how it goes. I'm a little out of practice. So good to have you all here with me. I've got some interesting things to talk to you about. I want to talk about soap. What kind of soap is best for being out in the woods, in the backcountry, carrying with you on road trips, those sorts of things. I want to talk a little bit about spoons or eating utensils. Uh, I want to show off. I went on this road trip and went on a, a two-week vacation to the beach down in the Carolinas, and I grabbed a, a pack, an emergency pack. I take one everywhere I go. This is in addition to like my suitcases and those sorts of things. This is just a pack so that if things hit the fan, uh, then I know to reach into my vehicle and among all the things that might be in there to grab my one pack and it should have everything in there to keep me comfortable for a few days. So I want to show that off. I know some of you are probably just listening to the show, the audio only version of the show. Don't you worry. I'll describe what we're looking at in detail so that you all aren't left out. Also, as I just go about my life, I read a lot. And as I just go about my life, I come across all these strange and weird articles around the world that relate to the woods or to nature or to bushcraft or to survival type things, sorts of things that we all discuss around here. You know, the weird and wacky stuff going on out there that might be of interest to you. So I just hold on to them. I, I open them up in a tab and then I just end up holding on to them, hoping to share them with you one of these days. And uh, I think that day has come for a lot of them, but I, I'm not kidding. I probably got 20 tabs open, hoping I'll get to share the most interesting of these stories with you here today. But before we get into all that, we got to do the musical introduction. So please don't go nowhere. Hang tight. I'll be right back as soon as that's over. Well, here we are. Brand new year. Last time you and I spoke, it was a whole different year. We're now in the new year. And I don't know about where you're at, but here where I'm at, we've got this Arctic front moving through. It's just ridiculously cold. Colder than a witch's titty, some people might say around here. So I hope wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your lives, you're all doing well. I wanted to take a moment to give a special shout out to you big rig truck drivers out there. I suspect there's more than one of you listening to this show. In fact, I imagine that that's, that might be where a majority of the uh, audio subscribers that I have come from might be big rig uh, semi-truck drivers. Anyway, I just wanted to take a moment to say howdy. It's a, I'm appreciative of the work you're doing out there in all sorts of weather. Kind of like the, the mailman of times past, right? No matter what the weather, 
They deliver the mail. Well, no matter what the weather, I know you folks are out there driving truck all across country, whichever country you're in. And I just wanted to say I appreciate it. I'm happy to have you as a listener. I would like to ask you a favor, though. When you get home, if you get a little time away from your family while you're at home uh, and you get a hankering to do so, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the Practical Woodsman uh, not only on the podcast platforms, the audio-only platforms, but consider subscribing to the Practical Woodsman on both YouTube and Rumble because I've got a couple of other show types that I do. For example, I do a a show type that's called Exclusives, and uh, those shows allow me to use the video format to show off certain things, uh, which is nice. And then I've got another show type called Adventures, and Adventures are just my time in the woods. And so what I try to do when I'm out there is primarily it's it's a way for me to document the experience for myself in video format but i like sharing it with you all and i try to do it in a way to give you a sense of what it's like for me being out there so that you you might also feel like you're out there with me so that's on rumble and youtube the practical woodsman let's see what else i've got a uh, an online community started and it's it's starting to grow it's still a little slow because it's still in its infancy stages, but uh, that's on the locals platform, and I chose that platform out of an interest for free speech, so people won't bother us. We can talk and share what we want to talk and share about uh, as long as it's legal to do so, and the way you can join is you can go to thepracticalwoodsman.locals.com, or you can download the locals.com app from the App Store. It's really nifty. And then within the app, you just search for The Practical Woodsman. One last announcement, and then we're ready to get started here. And that announcement is I typically do live streams on Saturdays exclusively on our locals community. Now, I ha- haven't done that for the past few weeks. It's just because things have been my my routine has been disrupted with the holidays, the end of the year, and all all that. When I'm able, I do live streams on Saturday. They're nothing, uh, you know, it's not like a Las Vegas show or anything like that. There's nothing super duper spectacular about them. They're usually uh, pretty modest, but it's something that I don't share anywhere else. You get to communicate with me during the live stream while I'm doing it. I get to show off a few things. You get to see me kind of in my in a more natural setting rather than in a pre-recorded setting. So something to think about. All right, let's get started here. I'm going to show off my backpack. Here's my backpack that I took on the road with me. It's not a huge backpack. I think this is a 28-liter, let's see, 26-liter pack. So a lot of folks might consider this an overnight pack. Some people might consider it a two- or three-day pack. One thing I do, though, is uh, I don't really care how a thing is marketed. If a pack is being marketed as like an overnight pack, then I say to myself, well, if I'm knowledgeable enough and I'm skilled enough and insightful enough, I should be able to pack that thing to make a perfect three or four or even a week-long pack out of that what what a lot of people would consider an overnight pack. I'll tell you the reason why I think that the 
a lot of people would look at a pack and go, well, that's an overnight pack. The reason why I think they'd do that with for a lot of packs is because um, they don't know the difference between a, a luxury and a necessity. A lot of people aren't willing to go without luxuries. And they view luxuries as necessities when they're really not. But when I'm... What I'm most interested in with a pack like this when I go on a road trip or I'm traveling is like I said at the at the outset. If there were to be an emergency or anything like that, I just want to be able to reach into my vehicle, not have to pick through a million things. I, I want to know that one pack, if I grab it and that's all I've got time to grab, that it's got the stuff in it uh, to make my life comfortable and to get me by in two scenarios. And here's the two scenarios I wanted to share with you. When I pack something like this, I'm thinking about wilderness and I'm thinking about civilized world, which is an interesting topic. It's an ongoing topic here that I think that I'm going to be having as the practical woodsman for probably a while because it's just impossible to find the sweet spot. But the reason why that discussion is so interesting is because a lot of things that work fantastic that are ideal for a wilderness situation are not ideal for a civilized situation, and vice versa. To give you one example, let's say that you pack a titanium plate, right? You say the thing could take all sorts of abuse, easy to clean, can carry it. It, it takes up no space, really, and it's not heavy. So you go, well, that works perfect in a, in a wilderness environment. So why don't I just pack one of those also for a pack where uh, I'm going to be bouncing around to hotels and I'm going to be in civilization. Well, if you think about it, when the titanium works for you just great out in the woods, that's because of the circumstances of being out in, in the woods. But imagine putting food on that plate and sticking it in a microwave. You're, you're not going to be able to microwave anything on that plate because it's made out of metal. So that's just one example of something that is fantastic for the woods and in a lot of situations in the civilized world it's great until you got to heat something up until you want to stick something in the microwave and heat something up well microwave is not a concern out in the back country is it so as we go through my pack just kind of keep that in mind um, there's a few things I carry with me in a pack like this because remember I'm thinking I'm in civilization, but I want to be able to just hop up in, into the woods if I want to and still stay comfortable. And we're, I'm not going to go through every single item I had in my pack. There's just a few things I want to highlight because we got a lot to talk about here this week. But I, there are a couple of, speci couple of specific things that I do want to show off. For example, towel. I always try to make sure that I have a towel with me. So within this pack, I do have a towel, and those of you who are watching the video can see the towel. Now, you'll notice it doesn't take up a lot of space. It's really small and compact. This is not a backpacker's towel. So for those of you who are just listening, driving down the road listening, this is not a backpacker's towel. So I didn't go to like an outfitter store and buy one of those really like those microfiber backpacking towels. I don't like them. Uh, they don't feel good against my skin, especially if you're washing out of a, a creek or something like that and you're freezing to death. 
uh, and you pull out that towel and wrap it around you and try to dry off with it, it's just not comfortable at all. They dry fast. Those, those towels, quote-unquote, that are specifically marketed to backpackers, they do dry quick, but so does my towel. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my towel. My towel, as you can see, those who are watching the video, is very nice and fluffy. See, it, it feels more like a real towel when you get out of the shower or you get out of the bath or you're alongside the creek. And I want to show you on the video about how big it opens up to. All right, can you all see that? It opens up pretty good. Now, I can't wrap that around my waist or anything, but it'll dry my body really good. And uh, how much you reckon I paid for this towel? This blue towel, which is about the size of, I reckon it's about half the size of a normal bath towel. But it's nice and fluffy. What do you think it's made out of? Well, it ain't made out of cotton. And that's important. I've told you all in the past that uh, I don't really care how a thing is marketed. I just look to see it, what materials is it made out of. If I understand the qualities uh, and the nature of those materials, then I don't have to buy something that's particularly marketed for a purpose. I just need to know what things that are marketed for that purpose are made out of. And then I can go around the store and I can find other items that are <laughs> made out of the same stuff but not necessarily marketed for a purpose that I have in mind, and I can save tons of money. So that's what I did with this towel here. You can get yourself one of these towels by going to Walmart or probably any department store. You go into the automotive section of the department store, and you find uh, the section where they've got soaps for cars, they've got the armor all, they've got uh, car cleaning stuff. And you find one of these towels made out of polyester, fluffy polyester. And I ain't kidding you, I think I paid $3.50 or $4 for this towel. Do you know how much you end up paying for a towel that is specifically marketed as a backpacking or traveling towel? $20, $25. And they're not as good as these. These are much better. You can see. How, how fluffy these towels are. It's, it's just like a bath towel, only about half the size. But it's made out of polyester. What's that mean? It means it's quick drying. So, I mean, if you're using this in a hotel, almost as soon as you get out of the shower, you hang this thing up, and by the time you're ready to leave that day, an hour later, uh, the thing is completely dry. You can just roll it right up and put it in your backpack, and it... it compresses down fits down real nice so that's one thing i was here's my philosophy for this type of a pack for this type of a pack what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to be completely self-sufficient along the road now i know that a lot of hotels supply things like cheap plastic cups or styrofoam cups or something like that they supply towels um, i even take my own blanket actually when I travel so I just want to be self-sufficient I know that they do provide those things but they're usually not fantastic quality I mean have you ever checked into a hotel and the, the hotel has the, the worst towels of all time these cheap cotton towels and uh, and you just wish that uh, you you had brought your own towel 
Uh, I do that with towels. I do that with a cup. I always take a cup when I'm on a road trip, when I'm traveling anywhere, and I just fix that to the outside of my pack. It hangs off the outside of my pack. This is a, a titanium cup that I'm holding up. There's nothing fancy about this. It's just a regular, oh, let's say eight ounce or 10 ounce cup, uh, but I just clip it to my pack and it dangles off the, the outside of my pack. And so when I get to a hotel, I don't have to rely on the cheap plastic cups that they've got there or the styrofoam cups or the cheap paper cups. Uh, you know, I'm a, I like my bourbon and I'll tell you something about those hotel cups and bourbon. Uh, if they're styrofoam cups and you pour a hundred proof bourbon into a, into one of those cups, uh, it melts it. It just burns the, the styrofoam. Um, but other than that, it's really not a pleasant experience to drink out of that cheap, pla- you know, to be driving all day and get into your hotel or your motel. You pour yourself a drink in one of those cheap plastic cups. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. So I bring my own titanium cup, weighs nothing, but it gives me a much better experience whether I'm at a hotel or here's the, the other part I'm talking about. I'm always trying to keep the two things in mind. If I have to race up into the woods for any, for any reason, uh, who knows what's going to happen in the world out there while, while I'm out there. But if I have to leave the hotel, run up into the woods behind the hotel and spend a couple nights or days, uh, this titanium cup does a lots of different things. I can cook in it. I can boil water in it. Um, it can take a lot of abuse out there in the woods. So definitely, I would recommend a titanium cup. Just a simple titanium cup. This is a vault, Vultcan that I got off Amazon. And it's just, it's just a cup, literally. It's, it doesn't, it's not made to nest with any bottles or anything like that. It's just a cup. Uh, but it serves... fantastic purpose out on the road it serves a fantastic purpose as part of my emergency bag on the road now here's something i learned from this trip i had a wood spoon that i had gotten recently i think oh i got this last summer i've never really used it i mean i've used it around here but i had never really i thought i really the spoon is so nice I love things that are made out of natural materials like this. It it makes you feel closer to nature. And so while I was packing for this trip, uh, like I said, it was about a day's drive away in the Carolinas. I said, uh, should I take my normal spoon and fork combo, which is, I think this is Yuko. I think this is a Yuko titanium spoon and fork combo that I'm also holding up for the camera. But then I'm also holding up this this really handsome little wooden spoon, which is about the same size. So I was, I was planning for this trip, uh, and I'm trying to get my pack together. I'm thinking, what do I want? Well, is there any need for me to have a fork in particular? You know, it's amazing what you can do with a spoon. <laughs> it's amazing how often a fork is not as necessary as you would think it is, even if I'm eating spaghetti or spaghetti out in the back country or some kind of noodles or something, uh, I can get by with a spoon if I have to. I can eat pasta with a spoon. So I thought that's there's no reason for me not to take this wooden spoon with me on this vacation. In my 
self-sufficiency bag. Well, I'll tell you something I learned, <laughs> and this goes back to this conversation about how needs in the civilized world are different than the needs in the in the uh, wild world out in the wilderness. You're not going to have pancakes or like eggs over easy out in the wilderness. Not if you're on foot, not if you're 50 miles back. I know you're seeing videos of guys doing that, eating pancakes, eating these big elaborate breakfasts out in the woods, quote unquote. Let me tell you, they're not in the woods. They're in trees. They're not in the wilderness. They're they're just in trees. Uh, That's either their property or they're parked right nearby and they've just taken a, you know, 50 steps into the into these trees and that's where they're doing these things we're gonna i'll have a conversation with you here in a little bit about that as well but the point i'm trying to make is that uh what is the point i was trying to make before i got off on my old man yells at storm cloud spat there yeah so my point is if you're in true wilderness you're not going to be eating eggs over easy you might be eating scrambled eggs because that's practical and that's real life. Uh, but as far as having like uh, everything you need out there for this big elaborate breakfast, pancakes and those sorts of things, it's very unlikely. If a person is going to be traveling 50 miles out into the backcountry on foot, they're more interested in saving weight and being practical about things. Trust me. So that means that uh, that's that's a major difference because if you're staying in a hotel in civilization, let's say they've got a continental breakfast at that hotel, well, then the odds are very good that you could end up eating pancakes and eggs sunny side up. So that's when I realized that this wood spoon, this is actually taking this out on, on the road. I realized I took the wrong spoon. I really should not have taken this this wooden spoon. One morning I had pancakes, and this spoon just wasn't cutting it. Uh, I'll tell you the the superiority of this titanium spoon here that's got both the the spoon and the, the... It's got the spoon on one side and the fork on the other side. The superiority of it is you can eat more naturally, like you're used to in a civilized setting. So when you're eating pancakes, for example, you use the fork side right, and you'll use the edge to cut your pancake and then you'll use the fork to spear the pancake and uh, stuff your mouthful of pancake right but it's that that act of cutting the pancake spearing it putting it in your mouth that is completely out of the question with this wooden spoon so it's true with wooden spoon you can get you can do a lot with a wooden spoon even pasta but if you're going to be in a situation where you're expecting to be primarily in civilization but you want the option to be able to jump into the woods if you have to these titanium spoon and fork combos are the way to go so definitely i think that the wood spoon is going to get relegated to uh, wilderness only excursions but from now on on road trips i would prefer to have my titanium spoon and fork combo because it provides for a more natural eating experience and um, there's going to be foods that you're going to be eating and have access to in a civilized setting that you're not going to have 
in a wilderness setting. So I always carry a spoon with me. Where are we at now? We've talked about how I always carry my own towel, carry a blanket. Yes, a hotel is going to have its own blankets, but what if you don't make it to a hotel? What if uh, you get to the hotel and the only hotel you can find is the cheapest one in town and you're, you know, you're not real confident about about how clean that hotel is and you just you don't want to sleep under the blankets there so if you've got your own blanket you can sleep on top of the bedspread and cover up with your own blanket and then silverware or eating utensils i always carry my own eating utensil and that comes in handy for a lot of different things what else we talked about my cup i don't want to rely on a hotel's cups Besides that, when you're on the road in between uh, leaving home and and the hotel or your destination, who knows? Who knows the, what's going to happen between then and your destination? It's nice to have your own cup. Say you get robbed uh, of all your money and your credit cards and everything like that. And you can't go into it just any 7-Eleven, can you? And take out a a bottle of pop or a bottle of water. So it'd be nice to have your own cup with you. I always try to do that. All right. And so I started carrying this too. I took this along with me. And for you folks who are just listening, what I'm holding up here is uh, basically it's like a grail water filter. It's not the grail brand. It's a pure Nova brand. Uh, Let's see if I can get that in focus. Pure Nova brand. And it's just a big bottle that has a filter built into it. And what you do is you, hang on a second here, I'll show you. Uh, you pull it open and this whole chamber comes out of an inner, of an outer chamber. So there's an outer cham- chamber and an inner chamber. And so you pull the whole bottle out of this outer chamber. You fill the outer chamber with water most of the way. And then you put the other, you put the inner chamber in to the outer chamber and you push down and that forces the water up from the bottom through this filter and gives you perfectly clean water it's my understanding that these things clean water of both virus bacteria uh, germs uh, basically cleans out all the microscopic life out of that water so what all you get is just perfectly clean drinking water so that's a nice combination that's just an emergency item that i carry with me just in case of course i make sure that i've got a flashlight i've got these other things what i really wanted to get to here quickly is a discussion about soap have you all seen this soap that they sell for backpackers so you might have seen this online you might have seen this at an outdoor uh, outfitter store Uh, This soap comes in liquid form, and it's uh, marketed as biodegradable concentrate. Uh, See, to some, it has a type here that they call wilderness wash with uh, centronella. And let me see if I can get that into into focus there on my camera. I wanted to tell you about this stuff. It, It sounds great. It's a concentrate formula, right, which means that you don't need a whole lot, supposedly, to make it work for you. Uh, let me read some more off this bottle and see if it's as good as you think it is. Biodegradable. Sounds pretty good, don't it? Uh, low sudsing. They say it can be used as body wash. 
shampoo, dishwashing detergent, clothes detergent, super concentrated, low foaming formula. Um, now here's something interesting on the bottle. The whole reason you bought this, right? <laughs> You're at the store and you picked up some of this and you go, wow, that sounds great. I'm going to carry that with me not only on the road, but I'm going to carry it with me into the woods. And uh, this is wonderful because then I don't, I'm self-sufficient, right? I don't have to rely on the hotel's soap. I can use my own soap. Therefore, I'm self-sufficient if I'm out in the woods. I don't have to worry about harming any of the wildlife or anything like that because it's biodegradable. This is specifically made for the outdoors. Here's the problem. On the, on the same bottle where it tells you it's biodegradable, it says, please use at least 100 meters away from natural water sources. Hmm, that's interesting. What does that mean? That means that this gives you no benefit whatsoever <laughs> over any other type of soap. It gives you no benefit. You still can't just wade down into a creek and start washing yourself off with this stuff or washing your dishes with it right there in the creek. You still have to scoop up water, move away from the water source, and then use it. So no benefits there whatsoever over any other soap because with any other soap, you got to do that. And the reason you got to do that, by the way, is because soap will kill the wildlife there in that creek. It'll kill the fish. It'll upset the ecosystem in that creek or that stream or the river or whatever. So the whole reason you bought this, when you saw it was biodegradable, you said, oh, man, that's fantastic. This isn't going to hurt nature, so that's why I'm going to buy it, right? Now, here's the other thing I want you to consider. It says it's low sudsing. And what that means is that it doesn't make a lot of bubbles. In fact, it makes almost no bubbles. Therefore, can this even really be called soap? Do you, do you know what it is about soap that cleanses? It, it's not just rubbing a liquid on your skin or in your hair or anything like that. The only way it works, we just come through a pandemic, right? Why did they want us to wash our hands so much? Because soap kills virus? No, not because soap kills the virus. The bubbles destroy the virus. The, the, the bubbles disrupt the virus and carry it away off your skin. It's the bubbles. The whole reason for soap in anything is because of the bubbles. You want the suds. The suds are what do all of the work. I've used this. I, this is before I figured all this out. I had bought this bottle, and as you can see, I'm still carrying it because I've already paid for it. I'm just trying to use it up. Um, yeah, it does make your hair smell better. Uh, I'm sure it cleans a little bit, but it surely does not clean as well as anything that creates lots of suds. So you want suds. That being the case, what's a better solution then going out and buy again this is just this stuff is really high priced if you want a, a decent bottle of this stuff you're going to end up paying 30 bucks 30 bucks from an outfitter store for the special horse papui <laughs> uh, fake soap 
And the reason you're paying that much is simply because it's marketed to a special demographic, right? People who want to be out in the woods and care about the environment and that sort of thing. So they, they really got a racket going on there. But it doesn't sud. It doesn't create suds. And uh, it doesn't give you any, but you still can't use it in the water. So it's still dangerous to wildlife in the water, which means there's no benefit to this stuff whatsoever. It, this is actually, you're at a disadvantage buying and using this stuff than just using normal soap. So I wanted to show you what I'd do moving forward. I, I have done this quite a bit, and um, I'm going to share it with you. Save yourself a ton of money. I'm an ivory soap man. I like ivory soap, so I'm holding up here for the camera ivory soap, and it's, it's still in the package, but I'm going to take out my this brand-new bar soap out of the package. The reason why I like ivory soap, this is just natural ivory soap, by the way. The reason I like it is it's got no added perfumes or anything like that. This is just about as natural of soap as you can get when we're talking about you know mass-marketed soap. But there you go. Fresh bar of ivory soap. I realize it's not there. I got to to keep for those of you who are just listening. I've got like a cinematic filter on my uh, camera right now. So it's got my face in focus, but it's got like the background blurry. So anything I want to be in focus, I need to make sure it's up by my face. So I've got this uh, freshly opened bar of ivory soap. Let's say I'm going to go out into the wilderness or I'm going to go on a road trip or something like that. What I would simply do is take this bar because I don't need the whole thing, right? I'm only going to be going for a couple weeks. And I just break off a portion of that, that soap. So I broke it just, it's about half, half the bar soap. Now, <clears throat> they sell products for your soap, little plastic containers so that you can go into the hotel, you can get into the shower, right? You wash off with all this soap, and it, this stuff suds up really nice. Mm, smells great. Now you're all clean and everything because you've got bubbles and suds, and that's what does all the magic. And that's where all the magic comes from. It's from the suds. So this other bottle of fake soap isn't going to do you any good. It doesn't suds up. So now you got this really nice sudsy soap you spent pennies for it rather than thirty dollars you've washed in your shower what's the condition of the soap well it's wet it's slimy uh it's going to take forever to dry right but let's say you got to go you can't stay there at the hotel all morning long they sell these products that are like little containers that you can put your soap in and they've got like a little drain dish on the bottom, and they're completely enclosed. So when you close them up, the soap is closed up inside that plastic pod. Here's the problem with those plastic pods. They don't allow for the soap to dry. So when you throw it into your pack, it's full of soapy water on the inside. The, the water that is still dripping off of the soap when you finished your shower. What to do? I, I hate those plastic soap carriers. They're wonderful as long as the soap's dry. If you actually use the soap, they're not that wonderful, especially if you have to use that soap 
and you got to put that in your pack and, and move on. So here's what you do. Remember the bandanas, how, how much I love the bandanas, right? You buy these up, just keep them, in, keep them all around. What you want to do is you want to take your bandana, open that up, take your soaking wet bar of soap out of the shower, put that on your bandana, and then just wrap it up in your bandana. That's right, just wrap it up wet and everything. What's going to happen is as you travel with that soap in that bandana, first of all, the bandana is going to keep all the stuff in your pack protected from the wetness. The bandana is going to absorb a large part of that wetness. As you travel that day, it's going to be drying because it's breathing, right? It's not an enclosed airtight plastic container, but rather it's cloth. It'll keep breathing as the day goes on. I mean, as soon as you wrap it up in that bandana, the bandana has already absorbed a majority of whatever excess water is on that soap. But you get to where you're going, you open up your bandana, voila, there you got dry soap, got dry bandana, and that's how you travel with just a normal bar of soap. One other thing, what's better, liquid soap or bar soap? For somebody interested in things like I'm interested in and you're probably interested in too. I would argue that bar soap is better. It goes a lot longer, it weighs a lot less. Remember, the bubbles are really all you're interested in. The suds is really all you're interested in. The heaviest thing you will carry is anything in liquid form. So if you're carrying a bottle of water, bottles of soap, bottles of mouthwash, uh, things of this nature, anything that's in a liquid form, that's going to be the things that are the heaviest in your pack. This little half a bar of soap that I just broke into and wrapped in this... Uh, kerchief doesn't weigh anything and it'll weigh something you you know it'll feel like a little brickish when you just get out of the shower and you wrap her up but that's only because of the wa water as the day goes on this will quickly dry out and uh, the weight will go down it'll feel like you're carrying styrofoam so that's that's my solution i use that as a backpacking solution for soap i use it as a road trip solution for soap one last thing about this pack. I'm, like I said, I'm not going to show off everything. But I carry a, a rain poncho in there. I carry a, a ball cap. I carry just anything that uh, will make me uh, self-sufficient while I'm on the road. Ball cap is nice because if you can't get somewhere to, uh, you know, purdy yourself up, comb your hair, brush your hair, that sort of thing, uh, just throwing on a ball cap is a really easy and practical solution to that. You can get by in civilized company without drawing a lot of attention to yourself. A lot better than if you were walking around looking like you just woke up uh, in an alley somewhere, like you're a caveman, you know. I don't know about you, but when I wake up, my hair looks like... It would definitely draw attention, let's just put it that way. It's, It can... <laughs> I don't know how I do it in my sleep, but I come, my, I wake up, my hair is in pretty, some pretty uh, interesting configurations. Last thing, I always like to take a, a significant knife with me. This is for protection, but mostly it's as a tool. This is a, I think it's got a four and a half or even a five inch blade on it. I've showed off this knife before. Now, the interesting thing about this knife is that it's not my usual 
choice because it's stainless steel. This is a stainless steel knife. It's made by Kokuki, C-O-C-U-K-I. Uh, but it's a, I mean, it's a really nice uh, woodsman's knife for a stainless steel knife. Typically, I would be using a, uh, a high-carbon steel for a knife. Now, here's the thing, though. I was on my way to the beach. In my experience with high-carbon steel, just getting caught out in rain for a few days, uh, keeping the rust off of my high-carbon steel knife has been a real chore. In fact, I've had to come at it. There was one experience I had where I only got caught in rain for about one hour, and I was carrying the knife on my belt. And it wasn't entirely covered by my poncho or whatever I was using for rain protection that day. But I was coming out of the backcountry. It was the last day of a trip. Got caught in the rain for like the last hour or two. Within that amount of time, by the time I got back to the car, and I realized, oh, my knife's on my belt there. I pulled my knife out. That's hard, high carbon knife. And I... It was astonishing how rusted up my knife was in just that amount of time. So it could happen quick. And sure, you can take some sandpaper and you can purty your up pretty quick. But when you're around, when you're on the beach, there's so much humidity in the air all the time, all the time that uh, we don't deal with in the mountains away from large bodies of water. So that was why I chose that on that road trip to take a stainless steel knife with me. If I had to jump up into the woods, I needed my tool, right? You can. There's so many things you can do with your, your work knife. Um, I wanted a knife that I didn't have to worry about rusting, even though I prefer and love my high-carbon steel knives. I had to take into consideration the environment that I was going to be in and make some small adjustments in that in that way let's see i don't think there's anything else i want to show off in this particular episode related to my emergency uh road bag road trip bag here's a lamp i'll show off a lamp i do take a little lamp with me that's another way that i keep myself self-sufficient I, I don't know what's going to happen out there i'm sure you know i'm staying in a hotel i'm assuming they've got electricity but who knows what kind of storms i'm going to run into who knows if uh, some drunk driver ain't going to run into something and knock out the electricity for a, uh, that whole side of town who knows if i've got my little lamp with me then i've got light all night long i don't have to worry about it now of course i took solar chargers and uh power power banks and the right cords and all those sorts of things. Everything, flashlight, headlamp, everything to keep me as self-sufficient as possible. I even took my own coffee. My own coffee and ways to prepare it while I was out there on the road. So that's just a little bit about that. Had a good time. I hope you guys had a great time um, over the holidays for the new year. Uh, I hope that this year is uh, treating you right so far and that you've got lots of great things planned. Let's get into some of these news stories I've been holding on to, like they were money, till I could get a chance to share them with you. You might find them interested, and that's we'll spend the last 10 minutes of the show talking about them. Here's from uh, Smithsonian, Smithsonian Magazine. 
a Cape Cod lobster diver. Let me read that again. A Cape Cod lobster diver, so this is just a diver, was swallowed by a humpback whale and then spat back out. I saw the video of this. You can go online and see the video of this. It's fantastic. I mean, you know that these humpback whales are absolutely enormous. Have you ever heard of somebody getting, I mean, besides Jonah from the Bible, have you ever heard of anybody getting swallowed accidentally by a humpback whale and then spat back out? Well, it happened. This is from June 15th, 2021, Smithsonian Magazine. On June 11, commercial lobster diver Michael Picard was nearly swallowed whole by a humpback whale off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts. The encounter lasted only about 30 seconds before the whale resurfaced and belched out Picard. Once back into the water, Picard's crewmates pulled him to safety and immediately transported him to Cape Cod Hospital. Except for serious bruising and a dislocated knee, Picard escaped virtually unscathed. The once-in-a-lifetime encounter occurred while Picard was about 45 feet deep into the water searching for lobsters. Then he felt a huge push. Almost like a truck hit me and everything went dark, he said in an interview. Picard initially thought a great white shark had attacked him. Then I felt around. He's inside the whale. I felt around, and I realized there was no teeth, and I had felt really no great pain. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm in a whale's mouth. I'm in a whale's mouth, and he's trying to swallow me. While inside the whale, Picard, with his scuba gear and breathing apparatus still on, began to move around and to try to escape. By Picard's estimate, about 30 to 40 seconds passed before the whale began to move its head from side to side. I'm like, this is how you're going to go, Michael. This is how you're going to die, in the mouth of a whale, he tells the Washington Post's Jacqueline Papizer. Then it resurfaced. I just got thrown out of its mouth into the water. There was white water everywhere, Picard tells the Post. And I was... Just lying on the surface, floating, and I saw his tail, and he went back down, and I was like, oh, my God, I got out of that. I survived. His friends witnessed it, and it's just incredible. So uh, if you want to see the video of that, just look up Michael. It looks like it's spelled Packard, P-A-C-K-A-R-D, but it's got a weird accent mark, uh, and Humpback Whale. Massachusetts. You'll get to see the video. It's in. It's insane. Uh, I'll tell you, there's two things I'm worried about in the natural world. Two things that I'm, I reckon you could say I'm afraid of. One is lightning. I really, I have a healthy fear of lightning. It's not like if I'm out there, you know, 30 miles in the back country and there's a thunderstorm and lightning that I just like lose my mind or anything. It's not that kind of fear. It's a it's a deep and healthy respect for lightning. So fear in that sense. It's just I realized it's, it's more powerful than me. I have to take it seriously. I don't want to be up on top of a mountain. I don't want to be standing next to a solitary tree when lightning strikes. So I'm constantly out there, particularly, particularly in the summertime, 
when lightning is much more possible, probable, uh, I'm constantly thinking about, well, what time of day would a lightning storm most likely have? What are conditions right now? Are they favorable for a thunderstorm or a lightning storm later on in the day? And where do I want to be when that happens? It's, it's, it's something I, I take serious. The second thing is the ocean. I love the ocean. I love hearing about sailors. I love reading about especially classic boats from like the 18th century and stuff like that, uh, classic sailors. Um, but it's another thing that I have a real, I think, healthy fear of. Again, it's not like I, I tremble every time I see it or think about it or anything like that. It's just I take it very seriously. And uh, I can't even imagine uh, something like that happening to me getting swallowed by a whale i tell you what i'd leave a bad taste in his mouth i i I guarantee you and then i would need a change of clothes and a bath once i got out here's another interesting story this from wsaz my local news channel in huntington west virginia fifth graders message in a bottle found 26 late years later across the ocean so I was thinking about audience when I read this story. I said, well, what if one of us, one of these days, gets stranded on a deserted island? Uh, 26 years is a long time to hope that that message in a bottle that you you tossed into the, the sea reaches somebody and that you get rescued. But I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it's probably unlikely that it's going to do you any good this was also out of massachusetts sandwich massachusetts a message in a bottle written by a massachusetts student more than two decades ago was recently found in france a package and letter from a french fisherman recently arrived at oak ridge school in east sandwich it detailed a discovery had made at a beach in august a message in a bottle from a former student Guy apparently was just combing the beach for trash, picking up different items when he come across the bottle. And the bottle had a note on the outside saying, please open, message inside. So he popped her open and discovered a message that was written by then fifth grader Benjamin Lyons as part of a science project about ocean currents, erosion, and climate change. The bottle was dropped in Nantucket Sound. In October 1997, Lyons now lives in Washington, D.C. area, but his parents still reside in the community. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, it's just interesting, fascinating to think about the journey of that, of that bottle and all the time it's been bobbing along out there, out, out in the sea. Um, if you ain't done so, I highly recommend that you go online and you get an understanding of ocean currents. I've done that even though I have no intention to ever become lost at sea or anything like that. Uh, I'm not a sailor. I don't spend time on boats. But I just wanted to understand it. It's one of those things that I I didn't want it to be a mystery to me. So at the beach where I was staying during vacation, I looked up ocean currents. I think I did it on my weather app. Um, and I zoomed out 
so that I could see uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And I studied the currents. There's a pattern to it all. And that might come in handy one of these days. You ever get shipwrecked or get thrown off a cruise ship or you're in a, you know, a, one of those, uh, what do they call them, survival boats, uh, and you want to understand uh, what is li- wh- what direction you're likely moving if you're just coasting along in a little rescue boat. Um, and it'll help you understand where you're likely to end up and those sorts of things. I'll tell you where I was staying, where I would lo- likely end up would be uh, somewhere around Greenland. If, if I were to somehow, you know, I don't know, get drunk and wander outside on the beach and bloop, take a dunk and the current pulls me out and I just float for months, probably end up somewhere around Greenland, uh, maybe even Iceland, maybe even London. That's just the way that the natural currents go. And I'm, I know that there are variations in it and everything, but really I studied it just enough to kind of get a basic understanding of the natural flow of currents. Here's a fascinating, while we're talking about the sea, I might as well tell you this story. This is from Newsweek. Man found alive at bottom of the sea three days after boat sank. Total shock, it says. On May 23rd, it'll be 10 years since a man named Harrison O'Keen survived three days at the bottom of the sea in the wreck of a ship. This is another video you can see. I think I discovered this story while playing around on X. You know that? app it was formerly known as twitter and the video the man's just at the bottom of the sea really deep down in the ocean at the on the floor of the ocean in this shipwreck everybody assumes he's dead they send down rescue driver divers just to rescue not to rescue but to retrieve corpses and they're swimming around inside this boat and all of a sudden this guy reaches down and grabs the shoulder of one of these divers and the guy just about has a heart attack if you can imagine you're one of these divers going down there into a a graveyard basically i mean this is like a it's a tomb right you're you're swimming into a tomb that's the the mood as you swim in you're just there to retrieve these corpses and as you're swimming along not knowing what you're going to see, not knowing what horrors you're going to see after three days. The wildlife down there feeding off these corpses and stuff, right? And as you're swimming along, all of a sudden a hand reaches out through the water and grabs you. <laughs> what? Talk about leaving a bad taste in, in a whale's mouth <laughs> and needing a shower afterwards. Wouldn't that have that effect on you? Well, that's what this Harrison O'Keen did. These guys were completely shocked. He did. The guy didn't have hardly any oxygen left. He was, uh, I think he was in hypothermia, but he was still alive. He had found an air pocket, and they were able to bring him to the surface, rescue him, and he, and he survived it. He was the only person to survive it. This was uh, happened May 26, 2013, off the coast of Nigeria. Harrison O'Keen, O-K-E. N-E. So that might be an interesting story for you to look up. Golly gee, folks, we've got, I've got 900 other uh, tabs here open on my thing that I wanted to get to sharing with you. Let's do one more 
and then we'll call we'll wrap things up this also is from wsaz my local news channel bear tears up car interior after sniffing out bag of m&ms some bears will go to any length to find food when they're hungry including breaking into cars for a snack and that's just what one bear did in colorado when it was on the hunt for some m&ms candy this guy recorded a bear's face peering out of the passenger side window of his own car before he opened the door and shooed the bear out. A torn up bag of what appears to be M&M's can be seen in the wreckage found inside the car. Look at what a bear can do to a car when they're hungry and smell food left inside. A post on some website says. On its website, the CPW, whatever they are, recommends campers and hikers do their best to store food items to keep from attracting bears to their location. And in other news, don't eat yellow snow. Two things that are probably the most obvious things in the whole world, but people people aren't people in general aren't that smart. Individuals are smart. People in general are not, are they? Oh my goodness, the the conversations we could have about bears. Well, folks, it's nice to be back here with you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Practical Woodsman. It was fun. It was enjoyable. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I appreciate you having you guys as listeners and as viewers. And I hope we got a lot more to talk about. And the time is good to us. You guys take care. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.